episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 31. This week I caught up with Alan Anderson and had a good chat to him about his 64 Effie. It's a patina truck uh, he brought in Arizona and brought over here to Australia and has done a full suspension and engine swap on it, so... Really good classic build. Uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Alan, thanks for joining us on the podcast, mate. I, I've been, you know, seeing your truck on on Facebook and Instagram and obviously quite involved with some of the Facebook pages. So great to finally catch up and have a chat. Thanks. Thank you. So, uh, mate, we'll start as usual. We'll go back to the early days uh, when you were a young buck. What What are your first sort of memories of, of automotive stuff? You know, was your old man into cars or, or what sort of influenced you, do you think? Uh, he was a bit, but he wasn't around much when I was a young bloke. And um, my mum had uh, three brothers who were absolute petrol heads in their day. Uh, going back a while, they had brill cream and the tight jeans and the brothel creeper shoes. And, and uh, they were all into... Um, they went through a patch of different cars, but they all ended up one stage, all three of them had... XMXP Falcon Coupes, which was something different. And uh, I spent a fair bit of time, because I was only about five-year-old at that stage, I spent a fair bit of time with them driving around, as you did in those days, sitting on the middle of the front seat with no seatbelts or sitting on their knee. <laughs> and um, I was kind of coached in um, car stuff. I thought it was it's like a pet monkey to them, I suppose, Um you know, he could take me out for a drive and I could spot all the cars and tell them what they were at 100 yards away. So that was uh, that was the start, but I suppose I've got to blame them. Yeah, the uncles. And I grew up in uh, country New South Wales and um, um, my uh, older stepbrother came along and uh, him and my stepdad were both pretty much into petrol heads. Um, we lived in uh, Wagga. And I can remember travelling down to Albury when I was a young bloke watching the the um, cars race at Hume Weir of all places, which is really going back away. So Mini Mini Man, Skinny Manton, and his Mini doing three wheels round underneath the bridge past the pits with the back wheel hiked up in the air, all that sort of stuff. Your brother had motorbikes because he was about fifteen, sixteen when I was that impressionable age. Um, we used to rip around the place in an old FJ we had, used to drive down the bus stop, how we never rolled it and killed everybody, I still don't know, but anyway. Yeah, so you were doing a fair bit of driving before you uh, you were even sort of old enough, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you're a kid growing up in the bush and there's not much to do, um, you earn pocket money by uh, come winter time in, uh, you know, April, May, uh, whatever you're out driving tractors all night to earn pocket money because it's uh, sowing time, you know, and me and Matt's round a, round a paddock, you know, and got to the stage when you're about 10 or 12, anything with wheels that needed moving, you, you were in it like a, not like a bloody cat, fat kid on a cupcake, you know, like uh, you drive, get the chance to drive anything, you know, and started with old utes, utes and uh, FJ going to school and your brother used to pinch the steering wheel jitty for most of that because he was pulling rank. But... um. I had an uncle lived up the road in the farm and uh, I was just the right age. The other kids were a bit young. And I was always driving one of the work utes up at the farm. Or My old man was a sleeper cutter and um, he had four-wheel drive uh, Chevy Blitzes with uh, winches on the back to drag logs in. Uh, into the. We used to cut them up with a big massive power saw and I learned to drive one of those, old Chevy 6 with a three-speed crash box in it and a joey box. 
And um, one stage he had a a Diamond Rio six by six wrecker, which was a big American six wheel drive wrecker thing. And it was really something, and I was quite proud at 12 or 13. I could drive it around the paddock all day. It was not, not a problem. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I, I grew up on property as well, and, you know, you end up with a paddock basher and you just drive stuff all the time. And it's it's a great learning experience for when you get a bit older and you, you get on the road, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I went, uh, <clears throat> when I was 28, I went out to some, where did we go? We went on holidays to Queensland and went to the go-kart track and, for something different when we're on holidays. We don't have, good, have go-kart tracks down here, or not, not rental ones anyway, decent ones. And I went out and done a few laps, and the guy come back and he said, oh, so do you race? And I went, no. He goes, really? Have you done this before? No. He said, you know you're only like this far off the record. So, of course, another 20 laps and another 20 laps, and I was within a poofteenth of the record, according to him. I don't know whether it was a sales talk or what, but... I came home and got the bug, decided to have, to have a go-kart at age 28. I'd never had a go-kart. <laughs> I raced them for uh, probably 12 or 14 years. Always loved cars. Always mucked around with cars a lot. Um, used to do motor cars and autocross and stuff a lot. Navigated rally car for a while. Cool. Yeah, always sort of involved with cars. Built a few race cars and rally cars. So what was the first car you, you kind of bought with your own money and, and drove on the road? Um we were talking about the other day is a as a '67 HR Holden Special, a red one with a white roof, and um, I think it had a um, one eight six in it, three on the tree, bog standard bench seat. It was um, bog standard when I bought it. That didn't last too long. I was dicking around with all sorts of things on it. Then um, I moved to Canberra and I. Um, I crashed it in Canberra. I actually, um, in the wet one day, went straight through, well, hit the brakes and um, speared straight through a red light and cleaned someone up. And uh, luckily we all got out of it unhurt, but the HR was a bit of a write-off. The front end of it was all stuffed. And um, I can't remember how I got it back to Wagga, but I got it back to Wagga and um, put a whole new front end on it. I put it off the road for oh, about 18 months and done a total rebuild on it. Ended up pretty flash bit of gear, had a paint job on it and had XP Falcon mirrors and Tirana fatties on it and a RT104 gearbox in it. It was one of the first ones around the bush that had one of those in it. Had um, an aero bucket seats and I made some custom trims for the doors and I had HQ door handles on it, all little nitty things, you know. Had a HD stone trainer, which was a popular swap in the day, and a HG grill in it, so the blinkers were in the stone tray. Um, me and a mate of mine done a, a bloody terrible spray job in a in a shed, <laughs> <laughs> and it turned from red with a white roof into uh, HX uh, metallic brown called Sierra Tan. Mate of mine had a panel there at that stage, that colour, and I fell in love with the colour. Yeah, it looked all right from about 100 yards away, but up close she was a bit rough around the edges. That's uh, cool. Sounds like a labour of love. So is that something that you, you kept for a while or, or that just got quickly moved on for the next one? Um, strangely enough, um, at the time, um, I got on the road. I only had on the road about six months and a young guy was pestering me like mad to buy it. And one day I'd done it, I just went, yeah, for Christ's sake, right here you go, there's a price. And he went, yep, done. And he drove away in it, and I went, holy shit, did I just sell that? Anyway, only lasted about a week or 10 days, and he'd done a U-turn in front of a truck, and she got cleaned up and bent like a pretzel. Oh, no. Absolutely trashed. I've never seen anything. I didn't even want to see it after that, and I was like, shit. So I had an old clunker at the time, as an old um, an XT Falcon I bought for 500 bucks. And had a Speco three-speed floor shift, and if you were in a hurry, it used to jam between first and second gear, and I could slide under it, reach up, bang the bang the linkages, and get it to free up in about 60 seconds. The bent seat was split, and uh, it was a real clunker, but, man, I drove that thing everywhere for two and a half years, never put a spanner on it, and I sold it for 500 bucks. I reckon it was the cheapest motor car I ever had. 
And um, I bought then, and I wish I still had it, the one, probably one of the one cars that I really wish I'd never sold. I bought a HK GDS Monaro, a 327 um, Monaro, silver one. Uh, I think they call it Herman or Mink or something. And uh, I had it about six months, and I blew the gearbox up. They were only Saginaws in the 327s. I blew the gearbox up, and, of course, in those days, you never had enough money to fix anything. And uh, hummed and hard and hummed and hard and hummed and hard. And I was just taking out a pretty good-looking sort at the time. So I decided I'd better have a decent car, so I sold it and cashed me Falcon, and I bought a... Oh, Jesus, what did I buy? I think I bought an XA Fairmont or something like that. Read a string of cars. Christ only knows how many I've had. Probably had 30 or 40 cars. Yeah, and a good mix of Holden and Ford by the sound of things. You you don't really have an allegiance? Yeah, not really. Um, I, I tend to – I like what I like. Um, each mark has its advantages, although I just wish Henry had Chevy running gear because – Every day of the week they change something on a Ford and it won't bloody bolt into the last one, I can tell you. But um, the Ford guys like me saying that. But um, I know that from the Camaro. I bought a 69 Camaro back in 2013 and um, it was either that or a 69 Mustang. And I went and I looked at a Mustang and wasn't impressed with it. And then when they looked at a Camaro and it was like, wow, look at that. And it was like seeing the good-looking sort, mate, a dummy done me dash straight away. I was like, I've got to take that home. That's a bit of all right. And it turned out to be a dirty girl. She was pretty fly, pretty shiny on top, but she was pretty shitty underneath. And I spent the last five years, spent the last five years fixing just about everything except from the paint down, I think. It's got the original paint. Well, not the original paint. It's had a paint job somewhere in America before it came here. But the paint and the, and the glass is about the only thing I had to think of replaced because I've replaced just about everything else in it. So it's not a show car, but it's pretty, pretty tidy, very solid car. It's got good solid floors and rut and uh, sills and everything in it. It's got a squillion little custom bits on it because I can't leave shit alone. Um, and uh, it goes pretty hard. It's uh, It's got 600 flywheel horsepower on it and it's got a pretty cranky little 383 small block in it. And uh, it goes pretty hard. It looks apart. Um, I'm on the verge of selling it, actually. I'm like, uh, time for something else. It's probably the longest I've had a car that's been a project. Yeah, and that's, that's still a left hooker? Yeah. Yeah, that's the first left hook car I own. I bought it, fell in love with it in a showroom in Melbourne. I'm sure I, well, I'm, I'm still sure I probably paid a little bit much for it, but I certainly didn't pay as much as he wanted. I, I had a, uh, quite a good story. I had a bag full of money. I mean, cash money I can't say how much because I would have got rolled <laughs> and he was haggling the point he was he was Greek and I said mate come on let's do the deal I'm not mucking around you know like but I'm not going to give you X amount of dollars for it oh Jesus you know I can't give it to you for any less you know yeah yeah, yeah I know the kids won't have Christmas presents and you know they'll have to turn the power off and you'll be eating wallpaper I know the story you know I said, mate, I'm not, I'm not screwing around. I said, I've got the money here. Let's do the deal. I said, you're, you're a Greek. You, you could bloody said, stick your nose in there and tell me if that's not real money. And I had the bag under my jacket. And I opened up my jacket and there was a bank bag, if you remember. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. In those days, what bank bags looked like, them cloth bags. And it had, well, it had less than 50 in it, but it had more than 30 in it, put it that way. And I opened it up and his eyes only blew out of his head and he just couldn't get me in the office quick enough to stand and close the door <laughs> and from there on it was pretty hard and fast dealing and it was like oh mate you're killing me you're killing me yeah, yeah I know anyway I'd teed me my brother was with me and I'd teed my brother up so if I don't come out in five minutes I want you to come bang on the door and yell out come on fuck it we're going home I've had enough of this and so, so after a couple of minutes he's banging on the come on, we're going home, stuff this, I've had enough and I said, Right, so I started to get up, All right, all right, you're killing me, you're killing me. So we done a deal and I took it home, I towed it home, when I got it home I sat in it and went Shit, I've never driven a left hand drive before. Except I had. I actually I had the old man's Diamond Wrecker uh, Diamond Rio Wrecker was a left hand drive, but it was only a truck and a paddock, so <laughs> But um yeah, I took it for a drive around the block. I'd lusted after one for years. Took it around for a drive around the block. 
drove into the garage and sat there, and I reckon I cried for about 10 minutes. It drove so badly. It was unbelievable. It was uh, a combination of things. I think it was just worn out. Everything in the front end was rooted and worn out. And, uh, but, Jesus, the standard front ends in those 60s, same as Fords, and you just don't realise how good we got at newer cars, you know, like, it was bloody terrible to drive. I spent a small fortune on a front end and control arms and a trick power steering box I brought back from America and all sorts of things. But, uh, yeah, it, it drives and steers quite differently now than uh, and handles a lot, lot differently than it certainly did when I got it. Um, mm. My background from racing cars and carts and rally cars, I, um, I like to go around corners quick, so anything I've got needs to you know stick to the road and go around corners. Try and reduce a bit of body roll. Yeah, 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 a bit of body roll. I'm, I'm, you know, I get a kick out of you know, going quick and I get a real kick out of smoking through corners. I love that, much to my um, licences. Detriment? Detriment, that's the word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, so when did when did getting a pickup truck, what what sort of spurred that idea on and, and, and what's the story behind getting your truck? I've got, a, I've got a mate in Melbourne who's got a 68 Camaro, a really nice one, and uh, he goes to Bright every year, and one year he he showed up towing it with his 67 C10 pickup, and I was like, holy shit, oh, matching orange and white, of course, you know. And I was like, holy shit, look at that, how cool is that? And um, I'd always liked the C10s. Um, all F100 guys rolling in their graves. Uh, and I'd been to the States in 2013. I got invited there by some photographers, and I'd gone back in 2015 for a visit. And I'd met a heap of guys on Facebook by that time because I had my Camaro, and they were all like, yeah, if you come to the States, come to this, come to that, come visit us. So I went and visited a couple of them, and one of them I got on particularly well with who lived in Tucson, Arizona, my mate... Jay, and um, we went there. I went and visited him in 2015. Uh, we visited other friends in... Uh, I met them in Charlotte in North Carolina at one of the Good Guys events. And for guys who haven't been to the States, um, if you go, you should try and attend at least one Good Guys event because you will absolutely be gobsmacked. Uh when you go to Summonats and they're telling you there's 2,000 cars, which <clears throat> I think some of them guys need to learn how to count properly. Um, they tell you there's 2,000 cars there and you go to one of the good guys' events and people are making apologies because there's only 4,500 cars there. And trust me, when you see 4,500 cars, uh, that's when you know there's a shitload of cars at an event. Um, I went. I went to... Good guys by accident in 2013. Uh, I had a week to fill in between going to a photographer's event in Dallas and then uh, one of my mates said, oh, you've got, you got to go to SEMA. I'm going to SEMA. That's only two weeks after Dallas. So I'll meet you in La Vegas. We'll have a weekend in Vegas. We'll have a week in Vegas. He goes, used to go to SEMA every year. Not Years ago, I'd been trying to get to SEMA and couldn't get there. And in the meantime, I had a weekend to fill in, so I looked at the calendar everywhere in the States, you know, and there was a good guys event in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a good mate of mine said, oh, you're going to Charlotte? Well, you know, my best mate, he lives there. And I'm like, oh, okay. So a couple of the guys with the Camaros, I didn't know at that stage because I only just bought my Camaro. Um, they were talking about good guys event in Charlotte. And I went, okay, we'll go there. I looked at the map out. I went, no, right, we can fly Dallas to Charlotte, to back to LA, and then drive to Vegas. So went to... Um, Charlotte and uh, went and visited Detroit Speed which strangely enough is in um, Mooresville, North Carolina not Detroit but it used to be in Detroit uh, and there that's where all the NASCAR teams are based around Mooresville and around the north end of Charlotte uh, the Penske's and the um, uh, all, the, all the teams the big Chevy teams uh, which are just, I, I went I met guys the first night I was there in the motel that were going to the going to the rod run, and they just took me under their wing because I was on my own. Yeah. And uh, they just took me around everywhere on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday to the 
to the good guys' events. They had a poker run on and follow this car, and I got lost, and another hot rod turned up, and I was in a servo trying to think what I was going to do next. And uh, I walked over, and I said, you doing the poker run? And I went, yeah. And uh, I said, do you mind if I follow you because I'm lost? And he goes, yeah, sure. And I just followed them. We went to um, Hendrix Racing, which, wow, I mean, that's just a whole nother almost think it's IBM when you arrive there. It's really something. It's a whole other planet. Um, done that. Went to Detroit Speed on the Friday night because they only have one open shop a year and they have an f- open shop on a Friday night. And I'd arranged to buy a steering box and stuff off them. And when I got there, there was 500 cars in the car park. There were just cars everywhere. And I walked into the spare parts shed or warehouse and guy said, can I help you? And yeah, I'm here to pick up a steering box and stuff I had put aside. And uh, I was after Ryan Matthews, the guy who works there, and he's like, wow, man, where you come from? You talk funny, which was quite a laugh. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I've come from Australia, and they've gone, and there's a hush, because we were like 10 deep at the counter. Yeah. And he yells out, hey, Ryan, your Aussie buddy's here. And well, shit, you could have heard a pin drop. So that was quite funny. But, uh, yeah, because I was a a ringing that had come that far, it was like, man, let me show you around. And everyone was the same. You know, like, you've come all this way? Wow, come and have a look at this. I'll show you something really neat. And people just went out of their way to be so nice and show you stuff that was, you know, just a bit out of the ordinary. So I got I got uh, befriended by a whole heap of people and shown a whole heap of neat stuff. I went back in 15 and met up with the guys I'd met on the internet from Facebook with the Camaros, um, visited my mate in Tucson, Arizona. We hit off really well. 2016, I went back again, um, and uh, we went to a thing called Cruise the Coast in Gulfport, Mississippi, uh, and we towed his Camaro from... Tucson, Arizona to Gulfport, Mississippi, which is 1,878 miles, not kilometres, including the great state of Texas, west to east. Um, and that was that. they had 8,500, no, 8,700 cars entered for the five days of cruising. And the lady said, oh, we don't really know how many. That's just the people who pay entries. There's another couple of thousand, we think. Yeah, just tacked on. And it was like, holy crap. Mate, and there was everything. There was beach buggies with LS motors in them with no mudguards screaming down the main street, pulling the front wheels off the deck away from the stoplights. There was just everything. Pickup trucks, um, four-wheel drive pickup trucks that were... I'm only five foot six. I could have walked under some of them. I could you not? There were, um, there were carbon-fibred six-second door slammers with number plates on them driving around with wheelie bars and two parachutes hanging out the back. I kid you not. Mm. Um, it was just everything. Yeah, I met a heap of people there. It was good. And uh, when we were at Jay's, I said to him, you know, I wouldn't mind a pickup, you know. We might see if we can find a pickup. So we went looking and we are looking at C10s originally. I said, well, I'd like, like, Mick, I'd like a 67, 68, 69, 70 C10 pickup, short wheelbase. That'd be great. And we looked at five or six and... Four of them were rubbish. A um, couple of them weren't too bad. Um, I couldn't do a deal. I probably should have done a deal on one of them. Anyway, he said, oh, well, probably keep my eyes open, see what happens, see if I find one, you know, when you come back. Oh, probably next year again. So I used to go over every uh, year about um, September, October, something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, the following... Yeah, 17, I think it was, 2017, about May, June, something like that. No, no, it was 16. It was later. It might have been 16 when he found the truck. I get a message one night, check your email. So I checked my email and these pictures of my truck now in a parking lot under sodium lights, which is really terrible lighting quality because I'm a photographer. Um and he's got, I think I found an F100. This is the model you like. And I found your pickup, Patina, pretty straight, pretty rust-free, going. Um, not so crazy about the price, but I, I'm going to go and haggle for you if you're interested. And um, 
it was a it was mine. It was a sixty four, and I actually liked the sixty one to sixty sixes. And if I'm going to have an F one hundred, that'll be the one short wheelbase pickup. Yep. Um, I'd looked around and couldn't find a sixty one to sixty three, what they call a unibody, which was in sixty one sixty three they made an F one hundred that didn't have a separate tub. They were like a Ute. They were part of the cab. The back was part of the cab, and they have different taillights and different records on them. And they're really tricked, but as a marketing exercise, they were a failure because the poor old F100 chassis used to flex enough that the tub would be full of gear and the doors would either pop open as you're going down the road or jam shut and you couldn't get them open. So they were a bit of a failure. That's when they went back in late 63s to have them tubs. And then 64, they made the one with the tub on the back like mine through to 66. So they're all pretty similar. Um, so we done a deal. Jay came back and said, I've met the guy who owns it. Turns out I know the guy. I'm smashing him for a price. And he came back and said, how's X amount of dollars for you? And I'm like, I'll take it. I'm like, shit, how am I going to pay for this? He's like, it'll be right. I mean, how am I going to organise all this? It'll be right. I'll go and pick it up. We'll work it out. We'll register it my wife's name and we'll park it here. And when you come home, it'll, you know, when you come back, it'll be right. And I'll just send me the money when we work out final price and I'll register it in my wife's name so you can drive it around. I was like, how good's that? Mm, perfect. So that's sort of how it started. A couple of days later I get a picture of this F one hundred on a trailer behind his he's got a dual cab fifteen hundred Chevy pickup. And it's like, look what's following us home. It's like, yay, look at that. That's pretty neat. So it came with a couple of spares and basically it didn't well, it's got a little bit of rust in a couple of the corrugations in the tray and it had about a 50 cent piece on the floor in the front under the heater but it was like yeah that's pretty neat so done a little bit of few things on it and registered my name and yeah and was that riding just stock gear at that stage or what what had been done to it no it was bog standard it, it was owned by some old guy since new and he'd passed away and his grandson had inherited it and he was about to do it up they were they'd actually put another motor in it because the old motor i don't know whether it seized or wasn't was on its last legs um, when i got it, it had a smoking 312 thunderbird y-block in it but everything else was standard no power steer drum brakes leaf spring front end and it was i drove it around arizona i drove around tucson on and off for two weeks um at night mainly in late afternoons because it was still 100 degrees during the day you know it was just too hot just to drive around no air um and it was neat but um it didn't handle a stop real well it went like the clappers pretty much for what it was but uh, yeah it was all bog standard as uh, kind of like the queen mary you had to aim for a point in the horizon and just keep adjusting the tiller to set your course the old steering was pretty sloppy yeah they uh they made a lot of improvements uh, since those days. So, so what was your experience with shipping it back? Was that a, a pretty straightforward thing? Um, well, yes and no. Um, got it under a truck. We decided to um, uh, when Jay got it for me. I was still here in Australia, and I'd gone back in. It was June. I'd gone back for a visit in September and done a little bit of work on it. And he'd driven it a couple of times. I said, "Mate, just go and drive it." You know, like. Don't worry about it. Don't just because you know. And I'd send him the money. We sorted out the money side of things, and so just drive it around a bit, you know. So they took it to a couple of cruise ins and rang around. His wife loved it. Um, she thought it was hilarious. And funnily enough, it was a dead ringer for a truck when he was a young guy. His dad was a builder, and it was a dead ringer for one. He learned to drive him when he had done how old, twelve or fourteen or something. Um, it had later model F one hundred alloy wheels on it, but other than that, it was standard. Um, it had a new exhaust system put through it, twinning system and a couple of things and the new bushes in the suspension and shockies and things, but it was, it was still standard, basically. Um, so when I shipped it home, we put it on a truck and sent it to LA and I got talked into using some people in Brisbane, which turned into be a disaster. Um, um, it, it got here, but I got jerked around a lot. Um, anyway, I don't know why I got talked into Brisbane because I had to drive 1,500 bloody k's to go and pick it up with me trailer. I'll tell you what, me um, Pajero and trailer got a flogging on the way home to get home. I was sick and tired of being on the road by the time I got up and back. Mm. 
I am just about drove home non-stop. So, um, yeah, it wasn't a, that big a hassle. I just got jerked around a bit when it arrived. That was all. Yeah. Was there was something else going on in the background? I think there was. I think there was a divorce proceeding going on in the background, which I didn't want to get involved in. So, right. anyway, um, I then believe it or not, the next year I went back and my buddy said, um, "Do you still like?" Uh, unibody pickups and I went yeah I love them why and he goes um, we're going to have a look at a truck tomorrow you want to come for a drive it's like shit and when we got he wouldn't tell me what it was until we got there actually and when we opened the shed up it was a 61 unibody and it was really straight The had two little patches of rust and had been fixed had been body worked had been uh, hadn't been gapped yet but all the core all the quarters and everything had been straightened out and being blocked. It was nearly not, not really ready for paint, but halfway there. It was a rolling shell. And uh, I was like, Jesus Christ, that's exactly what I had a tailgate as well, which is bloody hard to find for uni bodies. And um, I said, what are, you, what are you doing with this? And he said, oh, I stumbled on it. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to strip it and make a couple of grand. But if you want to buy it, you can buy it off me. But I'm, I'm haggling the guy for a price, and I just I'm going to shut up. I'm just stand back and watch. Anyway, an hour later, we came home with a unibody on the trailer, and I'm like, God, oh, Jesus, what am I going to do? And I just got Effie home. I'd started to collect bits for it, and I'm like, uh, but the price was too good, and I'm like, Nah, I've got to buy it. I'll take it. Right on. So I shipped it to LA, and a mate of mine said, you know, he had a few dramas with the first one was like oh you got to be kidding us next one i'll be bringing out of melbourne because from wagga to melbourne is pretty much a flat toe mm. uh, i wasn't thinking of that when i went to bloody brisbane that's for sure with the first one and uh leighton kelson from uh Warrnambool brought this one in and mate if you're going to bring something in, he's the guy to talk to because uh it was painless and great and not a problem in the world and a great guy to do business with. It's funny you say that. That's that's who I ship all my stuff with. Yep. I brought a heap of bits and pieces in through him, um, brought me, me uni body in. I brought um, some fiberglass mouldings for hood linings in through him, which are an odd thing to bring in. I rang him up and said, got these, can you help me out? Yep. Put them on top of some stuff in a container. It'll be right. Nothing on top of them, which is what I needed. They just turned up. I've um, brought some other bits and pieces in through him, and I've got some stuff on the water now, some uh, suspension parts for four links and stuff uh, that are going in one of his containers. They should be halfway home. I just don't quite know where the boat is at the moment. I don't really care. It's no rush for them. No. Yeah, no, the second one was easy peasy. Yeah. Easy peasy. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a Fulton visor um, coming back with him at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Anything, any bits and pieces like that, just as long as you get him to LA and uh, have a talk to him, I'm sure he'll try and accommodate you. He's, he's really good value. So. Yeah. Um, in 2017, I went back for another visit. I got invited to go do a thing called Cars and Cones. My friends of mine who are right into autocross, they got a pretty modified 68 Camaro. Um, husband and wife, friend of mine, um, Rodney Prouty and uh, Susie Bowder, who uh, live in Nashville, and uh, visited them a couple of times. Great people, uh, like just car guys, just just like any Aussie car guy. You know, it's just a bit different, but that's what they're like. It's just just start talking cars and it's like, yeah, 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 we got them. They're a bit amazed about our rego and stuff like that and engineers reports, but it's pretty much the same. Mm. So um, went back over there and done five days of autocross. Well, we were slated to do that and Rodney's car had an issue with um, suspension components, got lost in the UPS somewhere. So we're like, ah, we can't race. We got, we're missing suspension stuff. Anyway, so I'd hired a uh, Hyundai shitbox, whatever it is, some little thing to drive from the uh, Nashville airport about 70 miles right across the other side of Nashville to get to their place. I'm like, well, don't think my Hyundai is going to pass. <laughs> and I uh, said, so, well, we could always see if we could dig another car up. And Rodney made a couple of phone calls and 
you know, there was sort of hint of a car being available, but then he, they thought he was right and it had been disassembled or something anyway. So uh, they ha- actually happened, Rodney's wife actually happened to look up the rent-a-car thing and they'd actually had a special, because they'd just come out, 2017 Camaros were on special for hire for two or three weeks. So <clears throat> um, we acquired one of those and proceeded to um, race the shit out of it for about four days. <laughs> um, turned up the first day at the autocross and they're like, where's your race car? This is it. It's all right. We've got stickers for it. And they're like, it looks brand new. Oh, well, it's got 1,200 miles on it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, on the way home, it was quite interesting from the airport. We came over a rise. And uh, if anyone wonders about just how quick those 62 uh, Chevy motors are in one of them Camaros. I can tell you they can touch 126 miles an hour by the GPS really quickly and easily. Um, my mate's missus was driving because we wanted to have a fight over who was going to drive to her place. So she drove, but we came over a rise on the freeway and there were three lanes of no traffic down to the next hill and it was about three miles of nothing in front of us, but just three lanes of traffic or three lanes of hot mix. She looks at me and goes, pull your seatbelt on tighter and just smack the throttle and just went from 80 mile an hour to 126. By the time I got my camera out of my pocket and I still have a picture of 126 mile an hour coming up on the GPS on the dash, it was just easy. It was still going when she lifted and went, ah, oh, better lift and we'll get locked up here. So, yeah, that that was that was a good indication of how quick it went. Um, first day we raced Nashville, the autocross, and uh, then we done a cross-country tour and we ended up in a place 90 miles north of Nashville called uh, Bowling Green, which is where the Corvette factory is, the one only Corvette factory in the States. And uh, on the other side of the road from the Corvette factory, they have the Corvette Museum, National National Corvette Museum and the racetrack next to it. Um, and um, the racetrack, something else, but we were using the car park for autocross. And you think, well, oh, you know, autocross, how quick could you get? Oh, let me tell you, we touched 100 miles an hour before the braking zone at the end. And I only know that because I couldn't look at the speedo, but my mate was drilling across looking at the speedo as I smacked the brake pedal for the braking zone. Because they said to me, how fast are we going? I don't know, but we're hauling ass. Why don't we why don't we bring it back to Australia and uh, and let's talk about what you've done to your truck since you got it back here? Like what what mods have you done to it? Was it a full rebuild? What what's happened with your truck? Yeah, because um, yeah, it's such neat patina. I decided to leave that alone just for something different. I'm highly opinionated on several things, which if you get to know me, that's who I am. Um, but I I I have this thing that patina is really neat. And that's fine. And build a patina truck, that's fine. But if you haven't got something where you show you put your elbow grease into it, um, then to me it's like, how oh, you've just thrown it together out of parts. That's the impression I get. I know it's more than that because none of it just goes together. We all know that. So I decided, yeah, leave the patina alone because that's such neat patina. So the paint on top stayed as is from Arizona. But I decided that inside, because I'm old and soft and like me luxuries, was going to be full on and underneath was going to be uh, full on. And it had to drive well. So uh, I'd, I'd met a guy in Kentucky and when I was in uh, over there in 2016, 17, I, uh, I drove to um, a place called Pigeon Forge. I think that's in Tennessee. Uh, sorry, Charlie, Charlie, my mate. Charlie Shaw, who has a pretty infamous red and white 63 unibody um, over there. Uh, I met up with him at the F100 Nationals in Pigeon Forge. I drove uh, about 600 miles in one morning and met up with him and his wife there and had dinner with them and spent sort of a day and a half there with them and really checking his truck out um, because I've seen lots of pictures. And I always liked the way it sat. And he said, uh, well, you know, it's pretty easy. It's just lowered, got the axle flipped on top of the springs and got a jag front end under it. I'm like, oh, okay. So we got talking a bit and he's like, 
yeah, what do you want to know? I said, well, I've got one, and I said, they drive just terrible, so you know, I want something that handles and goes a bit better, you know, like, oh, put a gag front end under it, and they had done, I don't know, a number of F100 with jag front ends, and he's a real devotee of the jag front end, so he tracked me down some stats and then was kind enough to send me 50 pictures and complete with a tape measure and, you know, what he couldn't remember, he went out in the truck in the middle of the night, I think, and put a tape measure under it and measured things up for me, and like, there you go. His runs a um, a 4.6 cam motor, but it's a four-valve Cobra GT motor, and uh, it runs a Tremec and uh, an Explorer 8.8 diff out of a 2000 Explorer, which is pretty much what my Roland chassis is. I model it on his pretty much. Um, I seen the truck in the flesh, went around the block in it, loved loved the look of the truck, the stance. And was like, yep, let's do that. Um, I sort of, I, I'd, I'd managed to find a 85, 86, 87, I think it was, XJ6 Jag, a Series 3. Uh, so I had a front end. I wasn't interested in the rear end because they're a little bit fragile. And I'd been given a tip while I was over in the States, find yourself an Explorer diff because they're 31 spline axles. Uh, they've got an 8.8 carrier in them. Um, the right ones have a limited slip in them. They've got a 3.7 ratio, which if you're running a four-speed auto or an overdrive, 3.7 to 3.9 is perfect because it'll do, well, you know, about 2,000 revs at 100, 105, 110, 2,200 revs, something like that, depending on the tyre size, but that decent-sized tyres under the back of it. So the, the, the gearing is perfect at 3.7. So I managed to find... I actually managed to find one of those when I came back to Australia, unbelievably. I was visiting a mate of mine and I went into his workshop and he had the ugly, world's ugliest looking Mustang up on a hoist. I said, oh my God, look at that bloody thing. He goes, yeah, it's a real piece of shit. And uh, I said, what are you doing? What are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm putting a nine inch in it. I said, who's is that? It's not yours. And he goes, oh shit, no, no, it's bloody yuck. And he said, oh, it belongs to a mate of ours, blah, blah, blah. He said he bought it. Went to a Barrett-Jackson auction, actually, and I think he had too many drinks to drink. And at the end of the auction, they stitched him up on one, I'm sure of it. But anyway, um, and I said, oh, right, eh? so it's got a nine-inch gun. He said, oh, I spent a fortune. I don't know why, because it's a piece of crap, you know. Nothing special. It's not a special code body or anything. It's just a bitzer. It's just a horrible thing. Anyway, I'd been talking to Charlie about an Explorer diff, and I said, geez, I don't even know we had Explorers in Australia. I said, oh, we might have had. I can't remember, I'll have to find out. And he said, well, I'll give you a tip. They're two inches narrow, an inch and three-quarter narrower than nine-inch. They've got really neat disc brakes on them. They've got a handbrake inside the inside a drum in the rear disc brake. They're 3.7 ratio. They're slippery, uh, 31 spine axles. We've got half a dozen of them running around, never managed to bust one yet. I'm like, oh, okay. Geez, that sound. He said, mate, you can't rebuild a nine-inch for what you can buy one of those for. I'm like, oh, I don't know. So I'm standing, look at the Mustang, turn around, I kick my foot on a diff line on the ground. I said, what the bloody hell is that? And he goes, oh, we're not sure. It came out of the Mustang. It's a horrible great-looking thing. We don't know what it is. We think it's an Explorer diff. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. So I took a heap of pictures and took a picture of the tag and sent them out to Charlie and said, is this what I'm looking for? And he said, yeah, where'd you find that? I said, you're not going to believe the story if I told you. Hmm. So I snagged that and... Um, but my original springs were so old and tired that they were nearly flat. Um, so I didn't have the only downside of an Explorer diff. The axle tubes are three and a half inches. They're monstrous. Um, and I didn't have enough room, I kid you not, between the top of the spring and the bottom of the chassis rail to stick, stick the diff in there. So as for flipping the diff, because the F100s are on the bottom of the spring standard, that wasn't ever going to happen. And I said to my mate Charlie, how did you get away with that? And he goes, oh, we just went near the dealer and bought new F100 springs. I'm like, can you buy 63s? Well, I know I bought 67s, but they're the same. Oh, right. So I'm like, oh, yeah. So the Ford dealer looks at me going, you want what? No, nah, that's not going to happen. Oh, right. So I scratched my head for a while and I thought, oh, you know, they're not too bad. So I pull them apart, clean them up, put them back together. But they were still 
tired. When I went back the next year in 2017, I found out why they were tired. We went for a drive to see where the truck used to live and the road. The road and I shook my teeth out. We only got a couple of miles down the road. I just forget that. I'm not going there. But uh, I'd say it's, you know, lived down this corrugated road and had to live in crap beat out of it every day, travelling in and out or whatever. But uh, um, So we lifted the, you put longer spring shackles in the back and I lifted the front spring mount on the chassis where I was up two inches. And it seems to be right. Uh, it's still a tad high, but I'm down to about two and three quarter inches of suspension travel now. And it's, um, I'd like a little bit more because the springs are pretty soft. Um, I've got a leftover set of um, um, Ride Tech adjustable shock absorbers in the back of it. I had a Camaro that I had left over my swapped coilovers, and they're really good shocks. Um, they're a little bit long, but I've made a really good bracket for them. Uh, made mine made up some um, shock brackets for the bottom of the diff and welded them on. And that's the rear end. Um, the front end, I had a jag front end, as I said, put it under, and that was a weekend job. It wasn't hard at all. It was really easy. Um, I'd read up on a couple of them and Charlie had heaped pictures and said, do this, do that, mark your centre line here, and away you go. And that was pretty easy. Did that jag front end come from the States? No, it was an Australian one, uh, which meant the steering wheel was on the wrong side for the truck. Mm, yeah. And that's when it sort of dawned on me. It was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do here? And I rang a mate of mine in Melbourne who's a jag wrecker. And I said, here's the story. I've got an XJ6 Series 3 front end. And he goes, good, because I can't find one. A little bit hard to find. And I said, no, no, it's all right. I've got the whole car. I said, I just need it for the front end for this truck I'm building. He's like, oh, right, eh? What can I help you with? Oh, well, you know, ball joints, the usual story, put a kit through it. I said, but here's here's the question for you. How do I make it steer from the left-hand side? Because he goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, I've got a a left-hand drive truck. I don't want to cut the dash. It's all original. And I said, oh, my left-hand drive, that don't worry me at all. And he goes, oh, all right. Um, and I'd found with Jay in Arizona, I'd actually found a crashed and wrecked XJ6 sedan over there and we were haggling to buy the front end out of it. And the guy wasn't really sure he wanted to sell it to us. So we looked around about find one from Wrecker and we finally found one in Texas, but they wanted 150 US for it. And then they wanted another 80 to ship it to Arizona. And then I'm going, well, hang on, I still don't know if it's any good. Um, and one of my mates, Charlie, said to me, like, just go on Summit and buy a reconditioned one. I'm like, what? You can buy them on Summit. So I went on Summit, dialed up Jag this between these years. Yep, fully reconditioned, guaranteed. Uh, Jag front end, left-hand drive rack. And I said to my mate in, in Melbourne, like, what's involved in swapping a you know left-hand drive rack to a right-hand drive rack, thinking that, Surely being Jaguar, there'd be 27 special bolts and three Hail Marys and a knighthood involved. And he just said, they bolt in with three bolts. You just swap them over. There's no difference in the front end. It's just the racks, the only difference left to right hand drive. Right, yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? It's that It can't be that easy. And it was. It was like three bolts hold the rack in and you just swap sides. It was like, oh, wow, that was too easy. So the bit I thought was going to be really hard was really easy. Um, and I'm glad I persevered and found a Jag front end. Um, about six months later, my rack finally turned up, um, which involved a whole other story of shipping it halfway around the world. Um, put the new rack in, and apart from screwing up, crossing the power lines over and blowing a seal out of it, worked really well, but I fixed that. Um, we're then looking for, by this time I'd had my uni body arrive and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to go nuts out on this uni body. I'll just throw an engine in the F100 and I'll sell it. You know, my uni body will be the thing I'll concentrate on. But I sat down one night just doing some maths and, um, the guys who know me will tell you this, that, um, I've got a bad, bad habit of just overkilling a project and because the uni body was really trick and had a good straight body and everything, I'm thinking, okay, you know, it'll be like either a um, you know, really dark navy blue or maybe a 
bright red paint job and it'll be billet this and billet that and smoke and motor and all of a sudden I'm like at $70,000 and I'm going, oh, hang on a minute, <laughs> hang on a minute. I've got one Camaro that I don't like to park anywhere because, you know, it gets door dinged and, it's, you know, it's not, a, it's not a show car but I'm like, oh, shit. And I really enjoyed the idea of just having a patina truck where you could pull up anywhere, don't have to wash it, don't have to do anything, could care less about any door ding in it. In fact, it's funny, you pull up in it and people go to get out of the car and they almost look at it like it's a tetanus shot, you know, like they're, ooh. <laughs> so they stand back a little bit. So after a bit of thinking about it, I went, ah, oh, Jesus, what am I going to do? So I ended up, I got an offer on the uni body and it went to Queensland and I sold it too cheap. I had another front end with it, Jag front end. I had another, when I brought it in, I managed to snag an Explorer diff out of Arizona and came with it. Um... I'd found another front end for it. So it was everything ready to build. When we're in Arizona in 17, we actually went to Phoenix for a drive one day and came home with a 94, I think it was, F-150 that we'd bought cheap that had an injected 351 Windsor in it and a AOD four-speed, and we engine swapped and gearbox swapped it uh, in Jay's garage and bolted it all in, just rough bolted in. So when it came home, it was bolted and sitting in there. So they had a motor and box and everything in it. The back was chockers full of stuff. That was the one that Leighton brought in for me. But I sold all that. I'm like, ah, oh, shit, you know, I'm like, what am I going to do? If I'd have done it again, I don't know, maybe I'd have taken my time and instead of painting it flash, I might have wrapped it with a patina wrap or something modelled off because I got told later I could take a photo of mine and reproduce that in a wrap. Um, and now I know what I know. Between me and a mate of mine, I reckon I could have patina painted it and you wouldn't have picked it anyway. So, But it was a pretty neat truck and being a little bit special with being a unibody, it sort of, I thought it deserved to be looking lovely instead of looking patinery, but I don't know. It, it, it's so hard. You want to drive the shit out of them and yet you can't always do that. With, you start throwing buckets of money at them. It's like, you know. You can't keep them all either. That's the problem. Like you, you know, how many, how many cars can you have? So Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, correct. That's right. That's what Shannon's keep asking me. Yeah. So here's a question for you. You know, like for a lot of the guys listening um, who, you know, maybe they've got an F truck or they're looking at getting one. And um, I know in the States it's it's pretty common that they'll swap out, they'll do a Crown Victoria swap, but we can't do that sort of stuff here. But, I mean, it sounds like the um, the Jag front end, the Explorer rear, that, that's a pretty tried and, and – and proven method for these F trucks. Yep, yep, um, and and works really well. Um, the Jag fits like um, when I uh, <clears throat> when I I found I decided if I was going to sell it instead of putting an LS in it, which will all the F one hundred guys will hate me for. I initially was going to sell it, and I thought oh, I had a Statesman lined up, and I was going to put an LS one and a four hundred sixty E in it. Um, because they're a great motor. I don't care what anyone says. I like what I like. It doesn't matter who makes it. Um, but I'm thinking in the back of my mind, if I go to sell this and it's got an LS in it, I've got 50% of the guys who would buy it until you open the bonnet. Yeah. And F100 guys seem to be very, very one-eyed, um, way more than anyone else. So uh, a mate of mine who helped me build this, Benny, him and I had a big discussion about it, and he said, you know what? Sell you anybody. I know it's a trick truck, but you're never going to build it for what you want, and then you're going to be kicking yourself. Just concentrate on this one. Make it a driver. Make it a parts chaser. Make it a knock around, but make it nice inside. Make it quick underneath, and outside it looks gruffy, and inside and underneath will all be neat, and it'll be a drive and drive it anywhere from here to Melbourne, you know, like. So we found, um, I don't know if you know much about Ford running gear, but Windsor's a great little motor. Um, I think an LS is probably a bit better because, look, let's face it, the architecture is 20 years older. Um, but um, with the Windsor, unless you've got a late model one, the drives on the front were really crap. Um, very hard to find a good drive system. Uh, I was aware of that, and having a Jag rack, I wanted power steer. Um, I wanted to run electric stuff, so therefore I wanted to have a big alternator because um, I've been through all this with a Camaro, um, and I don't care what it is. If I own it, it's got air conditioning in it. Um, 
and I want to run an air conditioning pump. So there's three things you need to drive off the front. And a Windsor, I found a couple of motors, but no drives on the front of them. So then you're looking at buying a drive and a bracket this and a bracket that, and then they become a nightmare. And I'm not into spending two grand just to have a, a shiny billet drive system on the front. I think that's just, I can't justify that. I look at it and just shake my head. Anyway, we found a late model, um, an AUXR8, in fact, and it had uh, a BDR4 speed in it, had an injected Windsor in it, had the serpentine belt and drive all factory, and look, trust me, if you can find factory stuff, they've done it five million times better than you'll ever do it. I don't care who you are. You might make one that looks a bit nicer, but trust me, there's all outrun, outrun run rings around yours. Don't care how you build yours. You know, it's just been engineered to death, you know, like uh, an OME will engineer it way better than you or I'll ever, ever, ever do it. So it had the serpentine drive, everything. It was a complete car. We haven't had a look at it. Been sitting for five days. Um, yeah, and, and it was surprisingly good. The guy took photos, was should be never get a job as a photographer because it was the worst photos of the car I'd ever seen. When it got there, the car was 10 times better than the photos looked, and I'm like, wow, shit, look at that. And it was just a bit sunbaked, and it was faded red because one side had been in a carport. Anyway, so we opened up the bonnet, checked the oil and everything, got all fluids in it. How long has it been started? Five days. Okay, will it start? Oh, shit, yeah, it'll start. Okay, so Benny goes, hang on, I'll walk around and stand behind the pipe, pipe at the back and make sure she doesn't puff smoke out. Hit the key, and I'd only get turned over three times. It had 220,000 Ks on it. Hit the key, went, did it. It was like, not a puff of smoke, Benny goes, not a puff of smoke. Yep. Thing hasn't, not fuming, no rattles, no ticks. Anyway, it was unregistered. He lived on the edge of a little town down on the big border. And he said, mate, just drive out the yard and take the first street left. It's a little road that goes out the back, take it for a run out the road. So sure as hell did. Thing just tapped 100 mile an hour really easy, pulled up, done a skid from a standing start picked up at skirts and went, Jesus Christ, I didn't realise AUs went this well. It was surprising. You know, it wasn't blinding, but it was pretty tidy. Changes went well, gearbox, engine, no temp, and I went, Phew. So I went back, yep, right, we'll take it. You know, and as we're going, I didn't tell them I was going to shred it for a, a project. <laughs> Just for the engine, yeah. And she said, oh, I hope you love it because I spent years trying to find it and had the eye in this car and we are going to do it up and we got no money and they've got kids. I said to Benny, I'm going to really haggle them. I'm too soft. I'm going to really haggle these people. I'm going to go real for the juggle. I'm going to be a real asshole. And she's standing there with a kid on her hip and a little one at the, beside her crying that a car was going. It was her project car. And I'm like, oh, here, take the money. <laughs> get on the trail. Let's get out of here. Just gave her the whole lot. Just like, no, nah, no haggling whatsoever. And me mate was pissing himself laughing all the way home. We got halfway home, pulled up for a pee stop. He goes, hang on a minute. So he pulls the, opens the glove box, and it's got the service manual in, the serv, owner, owner's manual, and in the sleeve it had the service book. And the thing had every single service docket since the day it was new, and it used to do Melbourne to Wangaratta every other day, and he used to drive up for work, apparently, like judging by the owner's book, and it I drove it around a couple of, for a couple of months here, a couple of trips out into the bush, and it drove really well. And then we took the radiator out, engine, gearbox, um, um, what else did we use? It had Tickford headers on it, used the CATS, used the ECM, and I got a mate who's a, um, a real electronics and computer whiz and a hot rod to go with it, Richard. Um, and uh, he came and had a look at it and said, I'm curious to have a look at this, you know, and what are you going to do? And I said, no, I think I'll be probably looking for a carb in a dizzy because, like, I don't know how they're ever going to run this. And what I didn't know at the time was that the EDR is actually run by the ECM as well in AUs and afterwards. And it's like, you know, you're going to have to run the ECM to run the four-speed. I'm like, oh, shit, okay, so how do we do that? He's like, oh, it's not hard. Leave it with me. I'll do a bit of research. So he came back and said, no. you just go to this guy in Melbourne, TI Performance. I uh, can't think of his name. Um, nice guy to deal with. Buy a J3 chip, little chip, about as big as a um, matchbox. And it plugs in the back of the ECM and give it power and petrol and 
air and voila, it runs. So it was like, holy shit, look at that. And we used a uh, XG slash XH Falcon Ute. That was the last of the ones that had a steel tank in them. And the petrol tank's pretty flat. It's a very similar to a Mustang tank. In the States, the guys use Mustang tanks because they fit between the frame rails because originally 61 to 66s have the tank behind the seat in the cab. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not fussed with that. Um, and I, I couldn't find a Mustang tank at the time. I tossed up to buy a repo one, which would have worked. But, in fact, um, and a mate of mine who's a Ford nut knows more about Fords than anyone ever know said to me, um, hang on, a tank about this size, or, oh, I know, um, XGXHU or panel van will do it. That'll be about that size. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty confident. And guess what? I managed to stumble onto one that was a fuel-injected one, had a pump inside the tank and everything. Perfect. So run your own, run your own fuel lines up and a return back and injected AUXR8 in front, four-speed auto, use the radiator, the radiator, and the fan shroud, the twin AU electric fans, all just got four little brackets that just bolt to the radiator support, goes straight in, fits in like it was made for it. I had to uh, get a mate of mine to, who builds motors and is an ex-HRT and Gary Rogers um, fabricator and engine builder, Craig. Hello, Craig. Um, he modified the left-hand header pipe for me just so the steering shaft had clear and buy um, less than, you know, or more than 10 mil. Um, and the front end, I had it down there with a the cab and the motor and everything in it, and he was at his workshop doing the headers, and I went down one afternoon to see how he was going, and I had five or six guys all standing around looking at it, who half of them didn't know who it was, and one guy quips, well, shit, I didn't realise they come out with a independent front end in them. Like, what? So that's how well a Jag fits. It looks like it, it belongs there. It really does. And out in the road, um, I took it for a trundle the other day, and um, let's just say that a little bit more than 100 k's, and it just points down the road like a bullet. You know, it really points and drives really well. Very impressed with it. That's awesome, mate. No, it's a great build, and uh, it's it's good to, to hear the story on it. We'll probably have to wrap it up a little bit, I think, but... Um... Mate, people who people who want to check it all out, you you got an Instagram page and you're on Facebook and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, Instagram sixty four effy. Because I'm old, I'm still struggling to work out how Instagram works, but I'm sort of getting the hang of it. Um, on Facebook, there's a um, there's an Aussie F one hundred page sixty one to sixty six Aussie sixty one to sixty six slick F one hundreds, I think it's called, and it's Got a few pictures on there, a few build pics and pics of it, a few others, trucks. Uh, if you've got an F100 in between them years, uh, stick it up, go and have a look at it. Um, I'm thinking about starting another page for Australian F100s that are modified rather than just a year genre. Um, genre. Yep. So it'll probably be, you know, Aussie, Aussie on the deck slicks or something, I don't know, on the deck F100s, I don't know. I, I like... I like low F100s, jacked up four-wheel drive ones don't do anything for me, I'm afraid. Um, but, yeah, we're just tossing that around at the moment. Um, I'm on, as a guest, on uh, early Chevy ones because I've got a mate who's building a truly awesome um, 53 Chevy pickup uh, up in the middle of New South Wales. Uh, Simon, he's got his own page. And um, if you want to see a really trick truck, and the guy who's built, Everything in the shed himself, uh, truly a credit to him. Go and have a look at that one. It's really something. So, yeah. yeah, that's Simon Holland. Yeah, Simon Holland, correct. Yeah, no, really good. I, I actually uh, recently stupidly bought a 48 Ford F1 over in the States that's a patina perfect truck. And, uh, yeah, you're giving me some good ideas, actually. I might be uh, – I imagine it wouldn't be that hard to do a similar sort of thing in that truck. So uh, food for thought, definitely. Well, hey, if I'd done it, if I'd done it, it can't be too hard. <laughs> you know, it's like um, the inside of mine got the door jams painted and a few things and a couple of custom-made trims a guy helped me with or I helped him with. Uh, another friend showed me how to make custom door armrests. Um, I got a deal on some 
Dakota Digital Gauges because they're in my Camaro. I love them. They're great stuff. And put a dual gauges in it and a few things like that. It's got air, you know, um, it's got vintage air in it and a slight peak air to miss. And um, power windows and an AU are really easy to fit. If you want to fit power windows and something, go and find an AU power window uh, winder. They're easy to fit. Um, can't be too hard. I've done it. So, yeah, any time. Always open to help. That's for sure. Oh, that's great, mate. No, it's come out beautiful. Um, yeah, we'll post up some pics and uh, and thanks again for um, yeah joining us on the podcast. It's all right. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.